From the Saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications. Specialising in rural business and marketing design, find them on Facebook and Instagram. From the Saddle. I just need to take five and just go away and recover. <laughs> Not even high pressure, I don't know the word to describe it. <laughs> From the Saddle. I'm Caitlin Hewitt and this is From the Saddle. As the son of a can shopkeeper, today's guest wasn't destined for a life on the land. But after a stint as a ringer on the property his brother managed, Noel Daly knew it was the life he had to chase. He went from that humble start to owning a million acre property. Noel is one of Queensland's most respected cattlemen, but he remains so humble. He shares his incredible journey to our host, Kay Becker. From the saddle. So, Noel, you haven't always been North Queensland born and bred, I don't believe. So do you just want to take us back to where it all started, where you were born and, and how you ended up in far North Queensland where you are today? Well, we haven't been far away because I was born in Caulfield about came to Winton, uh, where mum and dad had the post office and store at Caulfield. And uh, that's where I began my life back in about 1943. We've moved around a little bit, but um, it was a very uh, secluded little place uh, back then because we had a an old uh, P-model truck was the only transport we had, which went sometimes, and a train from uh, Hewenden once a week, which uh, I used to climb aboard now and then. But uh, it was to... Uh, Start a life that, that progressed to a lot of different things in, in my life. And uh, from Winton, we shifted up to the tablelands. And I couldn't believe that mum and dad bought a dairy farm. And uh, that just about says it all because I, I'll never even go and have a look at a dairy farm now because, you know, cold mornings, hot days, it didn't matter when. Uh, the uh, cows had to be got in when milked. And uh, this is where we started, or well, I started my horse riding uh, journey. Um, uh, I had three miles to ride to school. Uh, and we, we had no saddles or anything. Uh, it was a calf bag with half of the middle cut out of it, and we put that on the horse and a, and a, a leg down each side, and away we'd go. That was our our saddle, get the horse going, a little horse paddock for the day, and uh, and then ride home to milk more cows. <laughs> but it, it was a good uh, start to life because we uh, we had plenty of animals there, uh, plenty of horses, and uh, plenty of open country and free air. So where did you go off to go to high school then? Uh, well, then from there... Uh, we shifted to Cairns where mum and dad bought a, uh, a general store. And uh, I started my uh, high school days there. That uh, I was never a great one to go to school. Uh, if anything cropped up, I'd always uh, wag school or dodge school or even go to work sometimes uh, with the local butcher there just to get away from school. It was a different experience to what we had living in Cairns. It 
uh, created a, a few small problems, so away to boarding school I went in town to, to the grammar school there, which I thoroughly enjoyed, actually, because uh, it, there was a lot of sport, uh, a lot of, uh, oh, you know, we had bivouac camps and, and all that sort of thing, and, and I uh, made a lot of good friends there, which I still keep in contact with with a couple today. Uh, uh, friends my age uh, now uh, are very few and far between, actually. They've all gone by the wayside, or most of them have anyway. Boarding school is the place where you do make good friends, that's for sure. That is one of the better things of it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, I got into all sorts of sports while we were in Kings uh, uh, as well. And, and uh, when I came home for holidays and that, and uh, I always played sports, football, cricket, uh, Aussie rules, basketball, whatever was done. Uh, but then I, uh, I finished school and... Uh, I worked in teams as a, an apprentice refrigeration mechanic for 10 months. And uh, that was where I really got into football there because uh, all, all my mates played football and everything. And we had a great team. In, uh, and our biggest win there was a, a, a 104 points to three. <laughs> uh, I'll never forget that. It was only three points for a goal those days at four now. Mm. That's a win. Yeah. We, we actually went on to win the premiership too, so that's a little thing I, uh, I uh, cherish from my Cairns days. So from Cairns to where? Well, well, there was no horses in Cairns. Uh, we didn't have any involvement with horses at all there. So uh, I, I had a brother. He was managing Kenobi out there at Cloncurry and... Uh, I used to go out to him occasionally, and that's where I got my love for the uh, Western country. Uh, and he was more like a father to me than a brother. And uh, uh, yeah, we used to have lots of uh, good times and everything together. And that's when uh, one thing led to another uh, over the years, and I've stayed out there then. And, uh, I finished school at 15 and, and went out uh, into the big wide world of, of horses and cattle, which was pretty new to me. Uh, I'd had plenty to do with, with some horses and some cattle, but there was nothing compared to uh, what I'd moved into out there. It was uh, something that I seemed to really get my teeth into and, and uh, I, I had somebody that I could rely on uh, to go to if I had any troubles, and that was Ken. But I'll never forget, I, uh, uh, money was pretty hard to come by those days, and that I'll never forget, they put me on the train and, uh, in Cairns and to send me to Cloncurry, and, uh, and he gave me a 20-pound note, and I thought I was made. But my excitement was soon because he said, send it back to me as soon as you get your first hay. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> no free lunches? No, no. And uh, from there, all, all those big places like uh, 
I've barely can be canoe or alcohol and along the wall and by Australian estates and uh, I pretty much did the rounds of them uh, being transferred here and there. I, I actually, after I left Ken and Kenobi, uh, uh, I went to Burley Station to uh, start there and uh, that was uh, just north of Richmond and that was my first actual job on a big station on my own. So, yeah, had the staff making friends and and uh, learning things and, and all that. So, yeah, it was uh, a great uh, experience. And once Ken went, uh, I thought, well, it's no good sort of uh, dwelling on things. I thought, well, I've got to make my own way in life now and and uh, make the most of it and, and uh, that's when I decided that I'd uh, save my pennies and one day I might own a few cattle or might own something and uh, uh, then that went from one thing to another and uh, I was uh, I was barely for 12 months uh, we uh, had to do everything there and groving ball pulling, muscling, uh, you name it. And one of the things that really come to mind while I was at Hurley, we were taking cattle into Richmond, taking bullets into Richmond, and uh, this fellow, he'd been in town on the job for, for a week, and he came out and he was in the dry hose, and the first night on team, it was my turn to take over, and he's off his horse, Cattle, fortunately, were were settled and stayed there. But he's catching something coming down from the sky, it looked like. But anyway, I rode over and he told me not to come too close because I'd knock all these bottles over. He said, uh, Mr. Glass is throwing me beer bottles from Lara. <laughs> and, and he was catching them and putting them on the ground. <laughs> so that, that was an experience. <laughs> oh, but it, it all started, though, all these things were new to me. And on, on another time, uh, at Burley, it happened too. Uh, everybody, Saturday morning, everybody went into the races at Richmond, and I was left there with the cowboy gardener fella. And I went over at the uh, smoke trying for a drink of tea to the kitchen, and, and he's there, and he's looking up in the tree, and he's pointing, he's said, can you see it? No, I can't see anything. Uh, and I'm looking, looking up in the tree, and he's still looking. He said, can't you see anything? I said, no, I can't. He said, God struck me dead. Everybody's gone away and left me here with a blind man. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I had to see the, the green if you're in the tree. <laughs> but uh, those, uh, those days of those old winner fellows uh, really must have suffered from the, you know they, what they put themselves through. They go to town on a bender for a week or two weeks or three weeks, and then come out and. Great pal turkey and, and the things you saw them do was was quite horrific, especially for them. Yeah. It's it's certainly not fun to watch, is it? No, no. So from Burley to where? Burley to Delganelli, which was uh, what, about seventy K north of uh, Julia Creek. And uh, 
that was just a, a straight bullet back there with a bell and alley on it. And, uh, yeah, we did lots of mustering. Because there was no choppers or motorbikes or anything in those days. The, the days were long and, you know, there'd be nothing to ride 60, 70, 80 k's in a day uh, back then. Uh, of course, you'd have plenty of horses. Uh, you usually had about four horses in, in your, your clan, and they'd last about a month, and then you'd muster to sell horses in and get another plant. And uh, it was a case of have to because of, you know, it was a, a fair strain on, on your plant for that month. Yeah. So, Noel, were you the head stockman at, at Dalgan Alley? Or? Uh, I was just a winner there. That's all, and uh, yeah, nothing all exciting happened there. We we used to uh, have pack horses there to uh, go and get the mail uh, once a week uh, over the Christmas period when it was too wet to drive anywhere. Uh, take pack horses, attend mustering, and that sort of thing. It always seemed to happen when it was too wet to drive anywhere, and uh, you had to pack horses, which. They certainly uh, created some problems if they you get them packed up and they decide that they didn't want the pack on them and they'd buck around and get rid of everything. But you'd eventually get them sorted out and, and on the way. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was at Dalgonelli for 12 months and then I was shifted to Malunga. It was just across the other side of the Flinders River about, Oh, they were only about uh, 30k about 30k apart, and uh, that's where I ran my first camp. Eh? I was head stopping there, and uh, it was uh, a pretty big place, Malunga. Plenty of horses, plenty of cattle. Uh, the days were big and long, and and as and again, there was no uh, helicopters or motorbikes to. Uh, to help muster uh, them or anything. It was just all hard riding from days on end. Uh, there was no such thing as weekends back in those days. You, just, you were just expected to uh, work until the, until the wet stopped you or until, <clears throat> until you finished your, uh, your mustering. Uh, that was seemed to help uh, work all those uh, those back then, I mm. So the horses on Malungra, were they, you know, just station-bred horses or did estates buy in horses at that stage? Did, you know, the rumour has it that there was 300 horses on Malungra when you went there. That's a damn lot of horses. Um, did they have a breeding program there that you were in, in control of or was it just that there was happened to be 300 breed up? Oh, yeah, a big program there had to because... Uh, uh, I think there was about 120 odd breedmares uh, in the breeding program with the four stallions. And they were, oh, many years before I went there, uh, there was a lot of Arab horses there. Uh, how they became uh, a part of the place, I don't know. But then uh, after. They sort of went out of fashion or whatever. Thoroughbreds uh, took over, and uh, uh, they were they were thoroughbreds through and through, uh, uh, without much other bloodlines at all. The boss would go to Brisbane and buy one or two stallions uh, whenever it was needed, and 
and of course, uh, you know, each camp, there was three camps at, at Malunga, uh, and each camp had about a hundred odd horses in their camp, and, and each camp had about eight men mm. uh, of all sizes and colours and everything. <laughs> and was that the era of a lot of Aboriginal stockmen still in the north then? You would have had a fairly large Aboriginal stockman camp in that area during your time, wouldn't you? Oh, yes. Well, uh, well I always had a white cook in the camp. Uh, and uh, usually you had one white fellow with me and the rest were Aboriginal from uh, Doomagee. I'd uh, fly in by the plane road at the beginning of each year and uh, stay until everything was finished and fly out. Uh, then when we were finished, there was a big breaking in program every year as well. Uh, well, I think while I was there, I broke in about 140 horses. And uh, it was, uh, you know, the, the job before the camp started up, uh, hot as hell and, and uh, all sorts of excitement uh, went on and Blokes would come on the mail trucks and give them a horse for ride and they'd get, off, get on the mail truck and keep going to town. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of good ringers were about those days too. We had lots of fun and, uh, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a, a Sunday off or something, well, it was always a sports day, which included running, uh, broad jumping or bullock riding. So... Uh, that was our fun. Uh, <laughs> we weren't allowed near the, the station. Uh, our, our place was out in the camp. We were camped there. Main camp was 45 <clears throat> miles from the station. And uh, if you were seen at the station uh, complex uh, any time without a, a decent excuse or going in to get supplies or something, uh, look out. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you still come across any of those guys now or do you think they've all gone to, to the greener pastures? Oh, no, there's the odd one about that, uh, yeah, that, that I know one fella still lives in Julia Creek. Uh, yeah, and he's going along pretty good. I often see him and uh, have a yarn about things. And when I left Malunga, and it was this chap that told me, uh, I had a, a plant of, really good horses there and they were horses that uh, other blokes didn't want and, and some of them were a bit hard to get on with and uh, anyway, you know, their names probably tell it, Flash Peter, uh, <laughs> Blue Bob, uh, Blue Beard, uh, and that sort of thing. And anyway. No one stylish Peptos. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this fellow's name, uh, everybody knew him as Menace. And uh, Menace by name, Menace by nature, but he was a great fellow. And uh, yeah, he ran into me one day and told me that uh, they'd shot all my horses because they were no good. Mm. You know, it was because they couldn't ride them. Yeah. <laughs> so from Malungra to, to where? Well, then. I became, oh, it goes right back to my early days uh, when I was with Kenneth Kenobi, uh, uh, the people across the Tonkari River and uh, Teldora Station and uh, Rob Kerr owned that. And uh, I, I got to know Robert there. Uh, when I went to Malunga, um, Teldora was only 
60 uh, odd k north of Malunga, and I used to run into him a fair bit and became very good friends with him. And uh, so then he came and he offered me a job of uh, looking after running uh, Caldora for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, after nine and a half years with Australian Estates, so I, I left them and, uh, and looked after Caldora. That's where Robert and I became really good friends, and that's how my campgrafting uh, career started. Uh, that was in about 1967. I can remember we went to our first campgraft together in Hilden. Uh, I had no truck or anything. He had the truck, and he used to pick me up, and away we'd go and deliver me back Monday morning ready for work. That was when I was at Malunga, and uh, yeah, one thing led to another, and that was the beginning of, of my hankering to own a place, actually. You know, it was uh, somebody owning their own place. I tell it wasn't a big place by any means, but it was a good-sized place. Uh, with a lot of good downs country and forest country with uh, the Saxon River running through it. And, of course, it's the home of the uh, Saxon Roundup, uh, yes. where it's held every year. It hasn't missed a year since 1961, so it's a pretty fair effort to have an event running that long. It is, it is. So what year did Dallas appear on the scene? Where did you meet her? Oh, well, <laughs> sort of goes back to Belganelli then. That's the place that nearly joined Belganelli, and there was these four fairly attractive girls on other planes. Oh, right. And, uh, yeah, it was quite something and uh, yeah I got to know them and used to uh, visit over there occasionally and and uh, never and Malunga when I went to Malunga well it wasn't all that far over the river to their place so yeah we got to know one another fairly well and in 19, 1972 we got married Where were you living then? Uh, still at Caldora Yep but then we were married and uh, uh, Tankwoods uh, got onto me. They owned cattle properties and meat works and everything and uh, offered me a job uh, looking up all their, their cattle stations. Well, they didn't own all that many stations, actually, five or six, but they had a different, you know, uh, uh, they leased Linda Downs and Roxbury out on the Georgina River which were pretty big places. And I used to look after all that and, and sort of look after the properties around Julia Creek and all the adjacent cattle. And uh, we went to our, our new job from Caldora. I think Dallas's father got to shift camp. Uh, he had a... Uh, he only had a little old car. That's all we owned. Mm. But... Dallas's uh, father had a, a four-wheel drive and a horse float, so we put our, all our possessions into that, and uh, away we went to Tamaray, which uh, which Tankwood's owned, uh, and that was 50k west of of, Clonk, of Julia Creek, and uh, we uh, we saddled up at Taldor and took our horses with us to start a new job at Tamaray. But just getting back to the horse scene again, these things sort of come back to you when we uh, started at 
with tankards. We went to Camaray first, and it was a very old and dilapidated house there, a very big house. Uh, they tell me it was the showplace of the West uh, many, many years before we went there. And uh, but then we, uh, we were shifted over to Rutschelow, which uh, tankards own. And we had a mob of horses, and, and there was no horses at Rutschelow. The tankards had no horses, so, well, our horses went up, and we, we used all our uh, own horses for the work at the uh, tankards. And uh, then uh, we stayed there for quite a few years, and uh, our horse numbers increased, and we we're going through a few graphs and everything and started to enjoy these graphs. I said, gee, you're lucky you go to a few graphs. But back then, we used to pack up Friday afternoon after work and drive all night to a, a graph and then drive all night Sunday night to get home to work Monday morning. So, you know, <laughs> it wasn't all being fiddled, but it was really enjoyable. And uh, when we first started drafting, uh, Ashley McKay was uh, a great help to us. We put a couple of screws on out there. We were pretty green at drafting and everything and the rules and all. And Ashley came up and introduced us to all the rules and how to do it. And, and it was a big help. And uh, there was a, uh, when we were at Rachelow, there was a big draft on a bullion. It was always the Easter time. It was always the end of the wet back in those years, and we'd have to get pulled out by the tractor so we could get onto a decent road and get the bullion. There was a big graft on that was worth a thousand pounds to win the open graft, and that was huge money then. And uh, uh, all the big knobs were coming up from the south to win this good money. Anyway, Dallas was the winner of it all uh, on a breath, on a horse that her father bred. He was a hard Arab horse, and uh, so yeah, that was quite exciting. That was a a, a big event uh, for us uh, that year. That would have been some serious prize money in those days. Oh, it sure was. Well, you know, nobody had ever heard of anything like that. It was. Uh, um, big money, and that's what uh, drew the attention of those fellas from down south. And uh, you know, uh, Billy Faint and Leo Waltman, four, I think four of them came up, and the game show us how to do it. <laughs> yeah. So from Richlow to where? So Richlow uh, and Tankard. We stayed there for quite a few years, and and. Uh, Oh, I used to do some terrific miles covering country out to the Georgina and oh, to Richmond and down to Winton on, uh, on the East Country. And they uh, offered to buy me an aeroplane and learn to fly. But no, I, I wouldn't uh, be in that at all. Instead, uh, I bought me a V8 youth and that's what I used to fly around in. So did you have any, any kids by this stage, No. Yeah, uh, we had a couple of uh, little fellas, Kelly and you know, Jay and Kelly. Yeah. Uh, they were born while we were at uh, Camaray, actually. And uh, they were very, very young uh, when we shifted to Rachelow, and that's where they sort of had their early years there. 
But while we were at Ratchalau, our horse numbers filled up, and when I gave notice there, they asked what we were going to do with all our horses. So uh, we sold them all the horses, some brood mares, and uh, the work horses, and anything, and a few young horses that we didn't want or didn't have a lot of interest in. Uh, they were good work horses, but uh, we still had plenty of horses, and. Uh, the sale of those horses uh, put the deposit down on Kaiwara when we bought Kaiwara. So, uh, you know, horses really became entrenched in our life after that. Yeah. And uh, Kaiwara was the beginning of our, uh, our own place. And Darcy uh, came along then uh, when we shifted from Rutgerow to, uh, to Kaiwara. Dallas and Darcy came out of hospital straight to a hospital in Julia Creek. All things happened in the little town those days. You didn't have to go to Brisbane or somewhere to have a bus. Yeah. No, it's no. Sort of, uh, so was that what, the late the late seventies, early eighties? By then, uh, that was we bought Kaiwara in seventy eight. Yeah, and uh, I stayed on at Rutshallow uh, until they found somebody new to take over and uh, we left Rutschelow uh, in March 79 and blown down. The fellow that they got to come to uh, Rutschelow, I went to school with him when I was a nipper of gelatin <laughs> in sort of grade one, grade two, grade three. And I hadn't seen him since and uh, he turned up here. So small world. That was sure to be the small world. Hmm. Oh, and I must sort of mention this, uh, the Saxon Roundup. Uh, while while I was at Telfora, the, the, the Saxon Roundup was uh, on on Teldora, yeah, on a big water hole there, and uh, that's how I became so involved in the Roundup, uh, being living sort of with it, and uh, it was clear that. So I became president of it, and uh, I think that went on. Uh, and Dallas eventually became uh, the secretary, and we, we uh, ran the round up for about eight years. Yep, that's a huge effort. Yeah, I always vowed and declared that it would have been far cheaper just to make a donation of about five grand to the round up and stay home. <laughs> Because you end up with every vehicle, tractor and pumps and God what that you had to take down. <laughs> now, Jay's told us we need to ask you about an Aboriginal guy in a waterhole. Is that at Saxby? <laughs> no, that was at Malunga. Oh, right. <laughs> I'll break him. <laughs> and uh, anyway, this Aboriginal fellow appeared on, uh, he came from Italy on the mail truck soon and uh, early one morning and uh, he went into the office up there and asked for a job. Yeah, go down to the horse yard, you'll see a boat, he'll give you a job. So down he came and I just had this young horse ready to ride. So I shot him onto this horse and he flapped around and opened the gate and there was a big water hole at Malunga, big water hole. Well, he caught me a bit unaware. I didn't think he was going to do much. And this horse took off straight towards the waterhole. And before I could catch him, he went straight into the waterhole 
with the rider on himself, disappeared under the water, and up the, up the rider came with lilies all over him. He swam to the bank and never said anything. He went straight up, threw his swag back on the mail truck and went to town. <laughs> mm, that was... <laughs> He'd had enough of me. <laughs> uh, but, oh, you know, you know, I had about, oh, it must have been uh, seven years at Malunga, mm. which, you know, a lot of water went under the bridge in those years. Uh, some pretty rank cattle there, some rank horses, and but had some pretty rank blokes uh, that could handle uh, the situation back then. And, and you know, they'd... Uh, they wouldn't shy off anything, provided you were prepared to have a go as well. That that would uh, be in it, yeah. Mm. So the kids, they would have all done distance ed, did they? Or correspondence? It was a call back then. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, correspondence started at uh, Rochelle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had uh, a great governess there. Uh, she was uh, the first one. Uh, and she you know, was with us for a couple of years, and uh, then when we shifted to Kaiwa, I was still on the correspondence and school of the year. And oh, so different back then to what it is today. Uh, you know, there was no computers or typewriter, and might have been an old one finger typewriter or something, but it was, uh, you know, they might start school at seven o'clock in the morning and finish by dinner time, and we'd go mustering and you had papers to do each week and they might be finished by Wednesday or Thursday and the rest of the time off. Mm. It mm. was quite good. But now, gee, it's hard to get time off where there are grandkids uh, doing school of the year because uh, they've got uh, school of the year. Oh, well, you know, grade uh, seven and grade eight uh, uh, and grade nine, it's, uh, all done on school of the year, just about, or on computers. And uh, and if you miss today, well, you, you you just miss that day completely. There's no uh, revising it tomorrow or anything. You just you're a new day. Yeah, you know, it's, it is a different ball game. So from Kaiwara, you bought which place next? Um, from Kaiwara, uh, our, our numbers built up and... The fellow that owned the pub at Gilead, uh, it was a, just a, a proper one-horse town at Gilead. It was about 25k west of Gilead Creek, right on the railway line. It had a pub, a post office, and a feckless hut. And uh, uh, that's all that was there. And, and the, the pub was uh, the, it, it was built somewhere in the uh, uh, late 1800s. And uh, I became very good friends with the uh, fellow that, that had the pub there. And we used to do a heck of a lot of uh, day work to make ends meet and all. And we ran the uh, sale yard. They were pretty concerned in Julia Peak back in the uh, uh, 70s and, and 80s, more so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's uh, what we did to pass our time. Uh, we had nothing else to do, but that, it was a good income. and the two of us, it was uh, quite good and we'd do some contract mustering and did all the yard work that the cattle coming in and sale going and cattle trucking out and that sort of thing. And uh, that's 
people helped to uh, build our numbers up and we found ourselves with a, a thousand cows and calves on adjustment. So we thought, well, it's time to look around for another property. So uh, we found Dingadin down at 50k south of uh, McKinley. So we walked our thousand cows and calves into Julia Creek. We had the victim there to clear them for pick. Colorado was in the pick zone in those days, although we'd uh, cleaned the pick up onto Kaiwara and never had any trouble uh, uh, clearing them. And then we uh, we walked them down to Dunedin, which was 100k down there, the kids and, and Dallas and I, and the nephew. And uh, all uh, our horses, all our horses that had previous uh, experience with um, when we were at Tancred because we used to have to go and muster these places or where there was no yards or anything and you always had to hobble out and, and uh, muster. And so they were, you know, we had horses uh, then that uh, we could hobble out and, and night horses and that sort of thing. That was uh, no problem to us. And uh, down to Ding a Ding we went with our thousand cows and calves and uh, it was just about, Full for capacity uh, with these cows and the progeny. Uh, we uh, struggled along there with numbers for a while and got some more adjustment. It was half really good country. Then uh, McKinley River ran through the middle of it, uh, uh, a bit of buckle uh, through that area, but when it went uh, into the hills out the back, it was a fairly poor country. We did a lot of improvements there, uh, pulling scrub and planting buffalo grass and improved it a lot, but uh, it wasn't big enough. And I think we bought Dinabing in 1992, just after a big flood. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, we had uh, Dinabing. Kaiwara and Dingading and more cattle on adjustment. So we had to look further afield. And of course, the boys are growing up a bit by this time too and uh, wanted something to do. And, and, and Jay as well. Uh, they, they, our three kids were a part of our work team. Uh, we didn't employ hardly anybody once uh, one left school and then two left school. Darcy was a bit later, but uh, and uh, they uh, they were getting itchy feet and wanted to go further afield, and uh, and I always told them I drilled into them if you ever get into trouble, you, you know where home is. Always come home to sort your troubles out. But the worst part about it. Often a policeman followed them home. <laughs> so, there was nothing ever uh, bad in it. It was just little incidents and what have you. That yeah, they shouldn't have done. But it was uh, it was uh, cool growing up. Yeah, that's right. And I think ninety uh, percent of boys uh, do these mischievous things uh, through their growing up, don't they? That's right. Like when I was growing up, we were always. We short of money. We always needed money. Soon. It was never handed out very freely. So there was a mob of horses on the common. This was when we were gelatin. So 
we mustered the uh, the common, the horses, and put them all up the uh, into the cattle yards there, the trucking yards, and uh, put them all up to crush. I don't know from memory. I think there's about twenty, but we cut all the hair off their tails and <laughs> cut all their manes off and acted and put them back out on the common. And of course, uh, in a day or two, a policeman was on the door looking for us. <laughs> uh, confiscated all our hopes and we got no money either. <laughs> so we lost out both ways. Um, so where does Noel Daly call home now? We call home at Wilton with um, 70k west of Emerald. We've only got uh, thousand acres here which is uh, pretty much all in food country and uh, we run our 800 bucks head here, and that keeps Alice and I pretty busy. That'd be nearly like living in the suburbs, Noel, that close to Emerald. Yeah, yeah, well, it is. Uh, yeah, I think a vehicle goes in once a week, uh, <laughs> even if there isn't a reason, it still goes into town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dallas is just doing what all the other ladies have done for years. That's right, yeah. But we, we bought Philip Creek after Ding a Ding, which was a, a pretty big run. We had a million acres there out of the freeways in the territory. Gosh. And we had about 1,500 spare cows we took out there, sold all the, uh, a lot of the old heritage uh, breeders that were there and introduced Brahmins to it, and we uh, kept the Brahmins going there. Uh, we only had it for... Well, six years, I think, and everybody wanted their, they were like me, the three kids, they wanted their own place. Uh, no, we don't want to have uh, it all together. So uh, we sold for the creek and then split uh, the places up amongst the kids. Uh, Joe eventually got uh, Kai Warren, Darcy Dingading, and Kelly ended up with uh, Catherine Downs out at uh, Catherine. Where they're living now, of course, Jay with the Bibble, but uh, no, she loves Kaiwara and, and uh, keeps the flag flying well and truly there. Yeah, no, she certainly does a good job. Yeah. You must yeah. be very proud. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, our three kids uh, nearly call them workaholics and, and their partners too. They've got very good uh, work ethics, all of them, and uh, yeah, we're pretty pleased with it all. How it all goes, and and uh, how they're making ends meet and jump hurdles if they have to jump over. That's mm. right. That's what it's all about. It's not for the faint-hearted, and it's not an easy ride. But uh, everyone has a lot of fun along the way. Well, when we went to Kaiwara, we had one good night with a girl. Oh, this isn't cricket at all. <laughs> so uh, it it. Um, Pretty hard on us uh, to jump that hurdle, but we managed to with, with uh, working town and all. And, and uh, yeah, you, you learn to live with these things and cope with them. And, and we certainly we weren't uh, certainly weren't Robinson Crusoe. There was you know a lot of people in the same boat. And uh, and yeah, you know all the ones I remember seem to get through. Uh, it's uh, the people that are sort of. They're given hand-me-downs and that. They're the people, a lot of people that struggle in the harder times and sort of haven't seen hard times. 
themselves, and uh, which is a bit of a shame. But anyway, that's the nature of the country and uh, what you've got to deal with, huh? Yep, you can probably thank your dad for making you pay that 20 quid back all those years ago. They realised there was no free lunches. Well, to be honest, it's stuck in my gears of ever since because <laughs> they had a saw at team when I wasn't playing sport and they didn't close until 8 or 9 o'clock at night. I'd end up packing shells or carting soft drink here, there, and doing this. And, and I thought, well, 20 quid was um, a pretty fair pay for the. <laughs> For what you've done. I two or three years worth. <laughs> I did there, and, uh, but anyway, wasn't to be. And I did send him a cutty quid anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so are you, still, are you still drafting at all, Noel? Yes, we are. Yeah, from 67 until 2019. Yeah. 20's been a, a year that we haven't enjoyed because... Oh, the times are starting to catch up with us. It and we've missed the whole year, which we were looking forward to and probably might have made it our last year. So, uh, yeah, our last year might have gone by the right side. But anyway, we'll see how we go. We've still got our horses and our little goose neck and truck. And That's right. We'll keep a hold of all that until we're sure we don't want to do it anymore. Dallas still goes very strong at it. And, and it's the home of King down here. I was going to say, it's easy down here compared to what you, that miles you would have been used to putting in. You don't have to go far now. No, well, we used to get the six or seven drafts a year, but uh, in the early days, uh, you know, you might do a thousand K round trip to get to a draft thing too. But I don't agree. Oh, well, there was Julia Creek. Uh, yeah, we started the draft up at Julia Creek and... We started the Stockman's Challenge at Clon Curry. And so, yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that I reminisce about. And, but uh, in one more little thing, being associated back to the round up years and years, and I uh, I wrote a song about Saxby Roundup, and I had some very good friends that were in the music industry, like Sam Costa and uh, Kelly Dixon, and to a less extent, Bruce Bell. And anyway, I became very good friends with Stan when he was based in Julia Creek. He used to be a same picture on Building Roads. And anyway, he got a hold of this song and he recorded it. So, uh, yeah, it's recorded on one of his albums. What's it called? Uh, it's actually Roundup. Pretty plain, but it's on his CD, uh, I Wouldn't Be Dead for Quids. <laughs> yeah. You certainly are the man who started with nothing and made the most of every opportunity you were given. <laughs> yeah, and I'll do it all again too. Well, that's great. It's been great to chat with you, Noel. We will hopefully catch up with you somewhere next year at a draft and continue on with where we're leaving, where we leave off. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity anyway. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Noel. Bye. Thank you to our sponsor, Hewitt Consulting and Communications. I'm Caitlin Hewitt, the founder and co-host of From the Saddle. I started this podcast a year and a half ago because I knew important stories from rural Australia weren't being told. We hear stories of triumph and tenacity, heartache and loss from rodeo riders, outback ringers, cattle traders, bronze sculptors and more. 
From the Saddle is an independent podcast. It's just us telling stories that matter to our community and we are so stoked that nearly 100,000 people have joined us for the ride. We're looking for partners this season to help tell these stories because we think they're worthy of being told. They're a part of our history and possibly our future. If you're interested, we'd love to hear from you.